Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Yeah, I was always always a technique junkie. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because I always like to to fight a little bit, you know, at the same time. But I think that's what kept me interested in wrestling and still does is just like the the technique aspect and the learning aspect. And we can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. It's Wrestling Changed My Life. Merry Christmas to you. I don't know if I'll talk to you again before December 25th. And if I don't, hope you have a great holiday season. Our guest today... Let's get to the goods. Our guest today is Jason Welch, California legend. In high school, he was a four-time state finalist, three-time champ. He took his talents to Northwestern, where he was a multiple-time All-American. And today, he's the head coach at San Francisco State, a Division II program in one of the coolest cities in these United States, San Francisco. I enjoyed this conversation. Jason has a really unique approach to both competition and coaching I hope you pick something up from this conversation. Fan of the week goes to Jesus Munoz. That's jesus.munoz.skate on the gram. Appreciate the support, my friend. Stay strong. And if you want to support the podcast, check out our new Chicago flag t-shirt. It's on the online store. It's store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. We've taken the Chicago flag and made a t-shirt out of it. Store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. And that's it, folks. Let's get to the goods with Jason Welch. Jason Welch, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. You are a former Chicago resident, as we were just talking off air, fan of the Lou Malnati's pizza. In your opinion, does it still take the cake as best pizza that you've had? It's got to, man. I know uh, I'm a California boy, but man, Chicago, Lou's has my heart, you know? It's outstanding. It's uh, I, I get it about twice a month every Friday. Anyone who follows my Instagram knows I'll I'll throw it up there. Still waiting on the sponsor request from Lumal Nadis, but <laughs> we'll keep plugging. <laughs> now, one of the places I wanted to start was you know in high school you had a, a lot of accolades, and I heard that you and your parents your junior year you took a a Big Ten road kind of road show or a tour just with yourselves. How did that all come about and where'd you guys all go? Tell me about it. Yeah. So um, my junior year is when, when the recruiting started really heating up and um, you know, something that I always preach to recruits that are my own or, you know, family friends is like, 
you can do so much work on your own initiatives. You know, you don't have to wait for a coach to call you and, you know, X, Y, and Z. So <clears throat> basically I want to say it was spring break junior year. We took off um, my parents, my sister and I, and we did like a nice big 10 road trip. We drove to, uh, you know, basically we almost hit all the, most of the big 10, you know, um, from, you know, Minnesota to, um, I believe we drove through Iowa. We definitely obviously did Northwestern Michigan was great. Um, and, uh, a few other schools. So, um, had a good experience out there at that point. I knew I wanted to leave the West coast and go big 10. So, um, I was just trying to, to get a feel for like an initial read about what might fit. And would you tell the coaches ahead of time or would you do it incognito? I told everyone ahead of time for sure. Yeah. We were, I mean, we were trying to, you know, make it uh, obviously you can't do official visits yet at that point, but make it as official as possible, you know? So I uh, got to meet a lot of people and um, some of the guys. And uh, I mean, I think between that road trip and then summer camps, I went that summer, I went out and did a couple of camps at different colleges that I really liked and just got a really good feel for those schools and make an informed decision. I think it's, it's one thing when a coach has you for two days to put on his game face and, you know, really roll out the carpet, but to see someone over three days and then a seven day and to see him when he's running his camp and then to see him, you know, sort of when the, the mask may be off is, is, is important. I think and really good to know people. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it all since you're a coach now and, and you were a highly recruited athlete. And so when you got to Northwestern, what kind of presence did Jake Herbert command on the Northwestern team at that time? Oh, it was, he was amazing, man. <laughs> it's just straight amazing. Uh, and that, that was a big, big reason, you know, obviously for the success of the program and also for me going there, I felt like I had this, this role model, someone who, you know, had done it and was doing it and, you know, making his path to be an NCAA champ and an Olympian and a Northwestern graduate and, and a, just a really good, fun, loving person as well. You know, and I, I think that really fit with what I wanted for myself, you know, where did I want to be in five years? And I saw what Jake had and what he had created. And I wanted a piece of that. Man, He is the man. I, I love Jake Herbert. Anytime you talk to him, you just get excited. You walk away feeling a little bit better about yourself. Yeah, that's for sure. Where did you, uh, where did you all look at besides Northwestern? And the reason I'm asking is, you know, you were a, a four-time California state finalist, super rare. Um, you could have gone anywhere and you went to Northwestern, which is a highly acclaimed academic school, but what was that funneling process for you yeah so um I think we really just it came down to I think there were a lot of places that had maybe really good academics but the wrestling wasn't as great you know or vice versa or the location was so amazing but maybe it lacked in one of those areas and I think that Northwestern was one of the few places where I felt like I could get a stellar location you know stellar people great academics and great wrestling. Like it kind of was the whole package. And um, I, I knew and my parents knew that that was my chance to, to make a jump, you know, like that's like your one negotiation time as a, as an athlete. So I wanted to get the, the best package possible, you know, and I think Northwestern was, was definitely that for me. And I was super happy with my choice. Um, you know, Northwestern was obviously my first choice. Uh, I had a really great experience at, at Michigan. Um, I had a lot of, uh, you know, pretty serious talks with ASU, had a coach Aaron Simpson that I liked a lot there. And um, yeah, but I think when it came down to it, I felt the most in sync and I clicked really well with the guys. That's another thing too, is not just like sort of the on paper stuff, but culturally and 
just socially like I just I fit right in like I felt like I, I was there for four days and I was like this is home <laughs> like this is it and I think there's that that in like non-tangible gut feeling that a recruit should get when he feels that this is the right place yeah Michael McMullen was just on here and he was talking about that that you know Northwestern is one of those few pieces where you have all of those components coming together and you know the Big Ten schedule obviously it's no joke you were thrown right into it as a freshman um <laughs> Yeah. What uh, what do you remember about that, that that fall semester when you're getting on campus and you're going through the transition of of that D one D one schedule and the D one room? Oh man, it was it was wild. Uh, and I think speaking back to Jake is that we had Jake and a few other seniors on the team that I wanted to compete with, you know. And that was a big reason just for me, not so much like logically, just emotionally, really? uh, wanting to compete right away. Yeah, I just felt like there was this this senior heavy class I could contribute to and be a part of. And um, I think we had just taken fourth in the country the year before. And so I was just revved up. Like I want to be part of this group right away. You know, I want to challenge myself. Um, but yeah, the fall was, was tough. I mean, the winter was tough, even tougher. <laughs> um, I remember, I remember my dad, you know, consoling me a little bit. Like I just lost me like the number, you know, 10 guy in the country on at a dual meet. And he's like, oh, it's okay, Jason. Like, hey, you're, you know, you're growing, you're learning. Like, maybe next week you'll get, uh, you know, a couple easier matches. Get your feet under you again and keep rolling. And I was like, Dad, next next weekend we're flying to Penn State. I got the number four, and then we're driving to Ohio. And I got number three the next day. <laughs> like, it just wasn't. It was like no breaks. It was it was nonstop, and um, it was definitely a, a challenging year, um, to say the least. But I I grew a lot. Have a lot of great memories and. Um, my goal that year was to be an all American. I, I fell short of that, but, um, nonetheless, I felt like I, I challenged myself and, uh, it was a growing experience. Now, when you're in that, that late January, early February, is it the, the rigor of the competition schedule or is it the daily grind of practices? I think, uh, I think our staff did a pretty good job at, at peaking us in general. I think the, um, you know, uh, I think there are so many ways to win from a program macro perspective. And um, I think at Northwestern, specifically that time, it was, um, even though we grinded, we worked our, our asses off for sure. But um, I think we had a little more of a technical approach. And I think things were a little more balanced. And um, we did a really good job at peaking. So I feel like the practice grind wasn't so bad, mm -hmm. you know. And there were days when they'd kick me out of the room, like you're overtraining, you know. Like, I think I'm someone who had come in, you know, I'm like always trying to do more. So I did a good job. Like, like Jason, you're like freaking out, like leave practice, <laughs> like go come back tomorrow, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm kind of, kind of rambling, but I think it was, it was the, but you were known as a guy as who a, had like a vicious high school schedule, right? Wasn't your regiment in high school, like two a days, three a days type thing. Yeah, we did. We did a lot. And I was, I was playing other sports too. Yeah. Like I was, uh, playing soccer in the same season as wrestling so it was yeah the practice schedule wasn't like unknown to me or you know so different um but I think it was the challenge of, of being away from home for the first time um that big 10 schedule for sure academically it was a big big jump for me um and so I think it was it wasn't so much like that one like daily thing it was just the combination of trying to grow as like a a complete individual in such like a trial by fire scenario. Yeah. I mean, you, you got thrown right to the wolves and every week and like every other duel is looking at the schedules. It's just so tough. And then you get to the big tens and the nationals. It's, it's unbelievable. And 
we're mm-hmm. not going to go in chronological order the whole time, but I wanted to follow up with this. When you got to that retro year and you were coming back into your sophomore year, a lot of guys have done that. You know, the great John Smith did that. A ton of guys have, you know, what was that experience like to take a step back, you know, from the glass so early in your college career and take a retro right away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, uh... It was just like a, a well-needed break, you know, because I, I do think that that freshman year being thrown right into it, which is what I signed up for, you know, um, like it was hard on me just being away from home and academically more than anything, you know, it's not like I was like failing classes, but it was it was hard and I, I had to learn to be a student, you know, and I think that redshirt year, the most important thing is like I, I I got some role models in the classroom, you know, and I started taking notes just like I was in the wrestling mat room, you know, who's succeeding here. Like, I'm like, who's getting good grades and what do we like, how do we do this? Cause <laughs> I think I was, <laughs> I was like smart enough to get by in high school without doing too much, you know, like obviously I, I worked hard, but it wasn't like school was my life, you know, and I, I had to learn to really be a student the same way I was an athlete. Um, and so I think that was the biggest thing out of my redshirt year is having the time to take a little, you know, a bit of a deep breath, you know, reset, recharge and, and figure out some of the non wrestling things in my life. And were you doing a lot of freestyle during that time? Uh, actually, I, I broke my I was going to go to that um, the Sunkiss Open. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forget what it was. But anyways, the the freestyle tournament that ASU used to host and uh, I broke my hand. That was the first like open broke my hand that week. Uh, Jake Herbert broke it, actually. <laughs> um, but it wasn't, it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Um, but uh, what happened? Were you guys so wrestling missed, or he like fell on you? And we were just like going, like, it was like before practice, like spar. we weren't even sparring. We were just like, like lightly, lightly flowing. I went to hit a, a shuck on him and my hand caught between my chest and his chest. And I guess that dude has hard bones. Cause my hand just broke. <laughs> it was like, I was like so confused too. As I started jogging more, I was like, oh, what's wrong with my hand? Like, that's so, that's so weird. He's um, built like a, and, uh, a Greek, just a structure of a man. I mean, it, it's not fair to the rest of us when you look at someone like that. He's in the same sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess long story short, I, I, I healed kind of slowly. Um, so I was out for about like six or seven weeks. And then I kind of missed the majority of the, the open season. And um, so, yeah, I actually didn't really compete my redshirt year, which is which is odd. Yeah. Well, I. I know that you were, I can't remember if Sean Bohr met in the overtime team. Were they still in Chicago at this time or mm-hmm. had he gone to Michigan? Yeah, that was great. So I think my, it was just my freshman year, maybe my sophomore year too, but one to two years where um, Sean and the rest of the overtime staff were coming in like two days a week, you know? So you had the opportunity. It was almost like a, like an outside consulting group, yeah. you know? Like you had like your base and your, your meat and potatoes. And then you had this, you know, outside source I would come in and do uh you know small groups or run practice and um I did something that that was really awesome because it shook things up a lot you know I think you speak of that daily grind like a way easy way to get out of the monotony is to have a, a, a guest coach you know and I think walking in the room and seeing Katie like on the on the treadmill just <laughs> grinding up for practice like oh okay <laughs> we're better ready today so um yeah that was amazing because we had like a great you know, base. And then we had overtime coming in, um, lots of different coaches and Sean and his staff. That was pretty, pretty awesome. I didn't realize they were coming up to the room at that time. 
yeah, we had some kind of, you know, like outsourcing uh, club <laughs> deal where they essentially were running, you know, our club practices at, you know, our discretion or at the coach's discretion, which was, was awesome. Cause you, again, you just had, I feel like, you know, individual mentorship and having more eyes on your athletes is so important, you know, for the, the programs and places that can afford to have, you know, five coaches and then like five, you know, RTC athletes and two guest coaches. It's like, everyone's getting individual mentorship and, and their own feel and people are going to gravitate towards this coach or that coach and, and finding a fit for every person. If you can afford to do so is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. And I mean, and you're really seeing that now that you're at the division two level where you have yourself and you have one assistant and you guys are wearing a ton of different hats. Whereas at the, some of the programs you just mentioned, they have, you know, maybe eight to 10 guys. And so when did you first realize that you wanted to be a college coach? Uh, pretty late actually. Um, my, my plan was to be a, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a while. And then towards the end of college, I thought I wanted to be a English teacher and coach high school, which, you know, I still think would, would have been a, a great career for me. Um, and then after I graduated, I applied to, uh, an MA in education and also MFA in creative writing, which is more towards the teaching college route. Um, and just a little bit on the whim, went the MFA route and thought maybe I'd you know, be a professor and like coach a little bit um, or some kind of form of that. And then um, and then kind of one thing led to another. And here I am, you know, um, what a sick job, though. I but, mean, to live in San Francisco yeah. and be a, you know, a college coach is pretty incredible. Yeah, I feel like it's like the there's, there's only so many jobs left over here. Right. So I, I feel, you know, especially grateful to to be, uh, you know, back in California, in San Francisco, in a great place that I love to like live in, you know, and leading a a college program. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked right now. It's pretty exciting, man. It's it's the, is it the Gators or the Crocodiles? The Gators. 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 All right. Uh, But there's no Gators. No. I mean, uh, that's, that's the cool thing about California though, is that you have, you know, you don't have some of the mosquitoes that you have in the Midwest. You just incredible weather. And what are the things you've done in addition to your coaching, which is so cool, is you run these camps. It's a one of a kind surf camps. Talk a little bit about that and how that came to be. Yeah. So, um, just, uh, I think as a recent grad, I was looking at all the, the different camps out there and thinking about how do I want to stake my claim. And, um, at the time I had a lot of opportunities to do guest clinician places and, uh, you know, my, some mentors warned me rightfully. So like, Hey, this is great, but this will, this will dry mm-hmm. out. Like, you know, like unless you're going to keep competing and go win a world title or two, like sort of the the name recognition or, you know, the star allure will die out and they're going to want the next NCAA champ or whatnot. Um, so I thought making my own, you know, business, my own camp name would be the most long-term smart career, you know, idea. So, and there's already so many intensive camps and that doesn't really match me anyways. And um, thought about what can I bring to the table? So uh, the first one was the surfing wrestling camp. So basically we spend seven days in Santa Cruz. We surf half day, wrestle half day, um, get a beach house or camp out. And it's, it's really fun. Um, and then the second one is over in Lake Tahoe, which is about three hours outside San Francisco. It's a nice, um, you know, giant lake, mountain area, lots of ski slopes and summer fun stuff. So we'll do um, two sessions a day, but we're only about five minutes from the beach. So we'll do like two wrestling sessions and then one like fun session, whether we're hiking or lake time or beach wrestling or just trying to mix that up. So I feel like that's more my niche, my personality. And, um, and there wasn't, you know, at the time, not 
too many other people doing that either. So North Shore or South Shore? Uh, South Shore. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Lake Tahoe <laughs> is, uh, that's God's country right there. I mean, that, that whole Northern mm-hmm. California area, you have the Redwoods, you have Napa, mm-hmm. but Lake Tahoe in particular. Wow. I mean, what, that's so cool that you do camps there. I mean, how many kids will come to something like that? Uh, so the, the Tahoe camp, we usually have about 60 to 80. Um, and then the surfing camp, we cap out at 10 or 12. Just, uh, I, I personally don't feel that good about having more than 10 kids in the water at a time. <laughs> so that's like my max, my max, um, babysitting, uh, duties. You do know? they realize how hard um, it is on the arms and the shoulders and like the, the abs? I mean, do kids get beat up from it? Dude. It's amazing on day like six, how tired you are, you know, <laughs> like as you get into the wrestling practice, like, Oh, just crawling like over the mat. Like, um, cause when we're also doing like, you know, waking up early, like Dawn patrol, yeah. like trying to find the right waves. So it's a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of paddling was, uh, out this morning, some good waves at ocean beach today. Um, yeah. that's a, that's awesome that you live that close to it. You said, I've heard on another show. I can't remember the guys who hosted it. A couple of Jersey guys, uh, you were on it recently um oh yeah um well i'll link to it in the show notes but uh you were yeah. saying there that you lived in outer sunset which people wouldn't even think that san francisco if they ever go there i mean you're out it's like an actual neighborhood yeah it's it's so funny because i i swear i was in an uber like last year or so and i i asked to be taken to the outer sunset and the guy was like, oh it's so far <laughs> like i was like what? like it's 20 like it's just funny because it's 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 only you know 25 minutes it's on the outskirts of the city next to sf state but it is, like you said, such a different neighborhood vibe here. Like it's just less traffic, more of like a, a beach scene. Um, a lot of like, obviously the ocean's right there, you know, I'm two blocks from Ocean yeah. Beach and then um, like six blocks from Golden Gate Park and then Lake Merced is on the other side in SF State and the zoo. So there's just a lot of like open space and you don't feel very close in at all. Do you ever get out to the Marin Headlands? I do. Oh yeah. my God. Um, you can tell I loved so it out great. there. I'm just, I'm just uh, reminiscing on non-wrestling <laughs> topics here, but uh, that's okay. Are you moving back? Or no, what? no. I was out there five years. Uh, great time out there. I ended up working in tech sales after wrestling and I worked at Salesforce for a, for a few years. And now I'm, I'm back in Chicago. I love Chicago. Um, if my family was out there, maybe, but I like living close to, close to the nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feel that. Uh, is your uh, your family? You know, you you grew up what on the East Bay? Yeah, so East Bay, Walnut Creek, which is like maybe an hour and a half from where I live now. Um, it's right across the Bay Bridge, and um, so yeah, it's great. My my family's still there. My sister just moved to Alameda, so she's close by. Um, and definitely feel like I have a, a solid base here to you know really dig some roots in. It's it's crazy how different just just the environments and the weather and, and everything is out there. I mean, it, in such a short span, you could go like five miles from the Marina to the outer sunset. I can't think of two different places in the whole world, <laughs> than yeah. those two uh, neighborhoods. And so, I mean, a lot of people don't think of San Francisco as a wrestling hotbed, but as I said, you grew up in the East Bay. So how did you really get the momentum behind you and really start to pick up traction? Like when did that happen? Yeah. I mean, I got, got to give a lot of credit to, um, you know, my club coaches, which was Pleasant Hill Wrestling Club with Corey Solomon and Leroy Rivers and um, a few other coaches over there. And, and my dad uh, was big. And um, and then uh, David Christian was a wrestler who went to Cal Poly, um, was a state champ in California. And we sort of just, you know, formed a little, a little pod. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a cool thing about wrestling is you don't need 
so much to make it happen. You know, um, we had a few great coaches and myself and David, we, tra we trained together a lot growing up and push each other. And then we weren't afraid to drive, you know, two to three hours to practice up in Vacaville or wherever, you know, we needed to go and just kind of hustled, honestly. Were you always a technique uh, junkie back then or was it more of like a, a grindman style when you were in high school? Yeah, I was always, always a technique junkie. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because I always like to, to fight a little bit, you know, at the same time. But I think that's what kept me interested in wrestling and still does is just like the, the technique aspect and the learning aspect. And, um, you know, like we traveled just all over the country, all over the state, going to different clinics and just trying to learn as much as possible, especially because, you know, like, you know, I had some amazing people who gave me a solid base and know a ton about wrestling, but they never wrestled at the world championships. You yeah. know what I mean? They, um, so trying to figure out like, what, what is that next step? Like, what are these people doing and, and going with my coaches and with my, our parents, you know, to the U S open and studying these guys and thinking about like, what are they doing? And, um, we were always really good at, um, consuming a little bit from a tournament or from a clinic and bringing it back home and then teaching it to ourselves and really ingraining it, you know, and that, that goes to like, yeah, my coaches and my dad and, and us just like wanting to learn. And it wasn't like we were going to move to some wrestling hotbed. We were like, we're going to do it ourselves and we're going to, you know, just figure it out. It's so refreshing to hear a family who put a focus on skill development as opposed, as opposed to like conditioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's one thing I definitely credit uh, my youth coaches for my dad is it was always about, we worked our, it's so hard, but it was always about fun and building a base. And we, it was, you didn't have to win then, you know, it doesn't important. I don't think I started having that sort of next level. Like I always did like pretty good, but I think like late middle school, I was like, Oh wow. Like I think I placed at Fargo for my first okay. time there and realized that like, that was like the next step. Cause I don't know, we didn't compete nationally that much or, uh, we've spent more time like practicing and training and competing locally. Now I need you to set the record straight for me here. Cause I couldn't find this in my mind. I have a memory of you wrestling at the Midlands as a high schooler, but maybe I'm getting it confused with Sertzis. Was that you or him or both of you? That was, I don't know if Sertzis did. Cause I think they, you did though, right? I, I did. Yeah. I think they, they stopped actually after I, um, recently after me where they stopped bringing in high schoolers for whatever, you know, probably admin reasons. Um, so yeah, I, I'd already signed with Northwestern, which was cool. So I got to like, it was like, uh, you know, go see my future teammates and compete. Um, and uh, to my high school coach, David Yee, and my, one of my youth coaches, Leroy Rivers, both competed in the tournament, which was wow. cool too. They got like the old man bids. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, we just had like this really cool experience. And I think they got to do that with me where like, you know, the whole sort of mini team came to Midlands and um, I played six that year, which was fun. And stop, um, stop right there. Hold uh, on folks. High schooler placed in six. That's, that's seriously ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, had you ever wrestled that caliber of guys before you got there? Uh, like any like no, freestyle think, opens, like Western regionals, nothing like that. Uh, well, yeah, I guess some, a little bit. And I guess, uh, I should say that like, I was also wrestling like up a division a lot. So uh, in freestyle we'd go to the tournaments and i'd always be that guy who was like oh can i wrestle like i'm like a dad wrestle juniors or juniors wrestling or wrestle in the yep. open so i think um i remember as a high schooler i wrestled in the open back when it was like a, a there was like the pre-tournament and then the the actual tournament so i made it through the challenge tournament mm -hmm. into like the top 16 or whatever and then i think i barbecued after that <laughs> but um but yeah so i guess it, i i felt and also like i mean honestly like at the time like 
Los Lomas High School has really developed into more uh, a well-rounded, solid program since then. But um, my high school team, except for a couple of guys, was a lot of first-year wrestlers. Wow. Um, so uh, myself and uh, like David Yee, who's my high school coach, would just train every day, which is uh, a big adjustment actually going to college for me was being on a team, like, like a team team where we did team drills and like had this sort of like group mentality because it, it pretty much had been just like small pods for me growing up where, you know, I'd work out with a coach or one partner. And um, that was just like the, how we got it done, I did guess. Did he wrestle at Fullerton or Poly? He was at, a, at UC Davis, Davis. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's the campus with all the bikes, right? What, they have like a massive bike population at UC Davis. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's always like epic crashes. So <laughs> you, at least you had, I mean, that's a pretty sweet situation though, to have someone close to your weight, you're just drilling with him every day and you guys were just doing your own thing pretty much at practice. Yeah, pretty, I mean, pretty much like, you know, obviously warm up, cool down with the guys condition. And there was, you know, we'd stay after practice and work out, but, um, you know, and I, I definitely would work out with some other guys, but I think I spent a majority of my time just wrestling with, with Dave. I mean, first year wrestlers, I mean, that, not not nothing but love obviously but dude you're wrestling in the midlands as a high schooler i can't even imagine that's that's even uh that's just worlds apart that might be more apart than the than the sunset in the marina i don't know (laughs) yeah no literally like i was at the year i was in midlands you know we had uh you know sean doherty was guy on your team who wrestled at cal poly um state placer and then uh i want to say there's you know essentially we had like two state placers on the team including myself and then a couple guys who were serious about it. And then a lot of like really great people who were first, second, third year wrestlers on the yeah. team. That's um, cool though. I mean, you saw it all. And it, mm-hmm. it just shows that you don't have to live at one of these uh, superpower prep schools and nothing against them. I, I think it's awesome what they're doing too, but it's cool mm-hmm. to see you kind of bubble up where you, know, you were doing it on your own, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it, you know, it, it takes a, obviously the resources aren't there in your face, but if you're willing to, to take initiative and be really determined and have a group, a little support around you, you know, a couple of key individuals that you can get it done, you know, mostly anywhere. And I mean, you talk about getting it done. You're someone who strikes a remarkable balance of really enjoying yourself, but also competing at a super, super high level. Is that something that's conscious for you or just part of like your foundation and kind of your parents? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think both. Yeah. It's hard to say chicken or the egg, you know, Cause I think that like w- when I write down like my coaching philosophy now, it's like, okay, was that like a natural thing? Was that from my coaches or this, it's just like me looking back then on like what I was already doing or thinking. So I think it's hard to say how that developed. And, but definitely, I think just as a kid, just learning to really like love the work was important, you know, and that like doing rope climbs after practice was never a punishment. It was opportunity, you know, like, and not saying everything was perfect and I always loved doing extra workouts, you know, um, or never got burnt out. But, um, and I think too, just loving competing is important, you know, and that's something I look for in recruits now. Like just, if you find a kid who likes being on the mat, you know, who loves, you know, a full send kind of mentality, like you can transform him into something, you know, like he can compete. And I think that that's pretty, that's somewhat innate, I think. I think you can coach that at a youth level, but I think when you get 19 or, or so, either you are, you know, someone who loves to throw it all down or maybe you're not. It's hard to change that more than like 5%. Hard to find those kids too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't have a secret to recruiting them yet, but <laughs> well, you kind of segued into the coaching and, and that was a ne- something I wanted to talk about anyway, was your philosophy, because you know I heard you say that like any coach, when you're coming out the gates, it's easy to look for kids and maybe wrestle like you do. And you had a very unique style. Um, and now you're looking for, like you said, the kid who loves the mat. And so one of the things I wanted to ask is how would you describe your, your philosophy and, and how has it changed just in the past two, three years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, one thing that, that COVID silver lining has afforded me is some time to really reflect on, on, you know, what do I want as a coach? You know, um, I'm doing my USA wrestling silver train right now and going through just some sort of like exercises about reflection. And, um, when I first got to SF state, there was like so much to be done and so much to learn like ad hoc on the fly that there was no time to reflect. It was just like sprinting every day, figuring out on the go. Um, and, uh, and even like on the recruiting page, like we didn't, I wasn't super familiar, honestly, with the local recruits. I was back on more of my national stage and that sort of different tier of athletes. And um, so, yeah, I think. So what is, what know, goes into some of that wise. stuff right away? Just like your first month, what are you doing? Are you calling recruits like crazy? Or are you gathering the team? Like, what, is, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, just like, uh, <laughs> I guess it was, it was a, a little bit of everything, you know? So I, I obviously had to look for an assistant. Um, and I eventually hired on Ryan Loader, who's been – really amazing he was an all-american at um at northern iowa for schwab and mm-hmm. um local coach and um but so i guess you know first of all hiring a staff you know getting to know the guys like i think building trust with an athlete is, is really difficult to do in four weeks i didn't get hired on until early september either oh, wow. so i had no no time it wasn't like hey guys i'm gonna be here and we'll like slowly like you know kind of dive in slowly like season was happening in six weeks and like, uh, no, it was, it was kind of wild. So, um, I couldn't just, I wasn't even sure like which guys were like my better guys or who I could rely on or who are my cap, you know, it was just, uh, um, it was, it was like a sink or swim kind of wild situation. That's pretty crazy. I mean, did you ever have mm-hmm. any of those moments where you're into it and you're thinking, God, I was just the big 10 ranks and now I'm at, I'm at a, you know, just a small duel here. Was there any of that self-reflection for you? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, um, I think I've definitely had moments where I miss that, you know, I miss being, you know, coaching or, you know, if I could coach or, uh, or wrestle in, you know, like the big 10 or, um, you know, at like a, a really high level freestyle event, et cetera. But, um, I think it's important for me, especially as a coach to check my ego there you know, and think about like, what do I actually want? Cause it's easy for me to fall into that hole of like, almost going back to my athlete mentality where I just want to be the best at any cost, you know, for the most part. And, um, as a coach, like it, it's a different approach for me. Like, I don't necessarily want to do what I did as an athlete, you know, like I want to work extremely hard, but I want to raise a family. I want to, in the future, I want to like have a different balance. I want to live in a certain location. So, I mean, I think there's a lot more that goes into that picture um, as a coach now. How do you track progress as a coach when as an athlete, it was so easy just to, to you know, how, you know, if you're getting your workouts in, but like as a coach, it's a little more abstract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've been thinking about, like, obviously, you know, like, oh, I had X number of all Americans or, you know, this is our GPA. Um, and um, I've been thinking more about recently, like, like a little bit selfish, like, what do I want as a coach from this experience? And how do I recruit 
more guys that will bring that more to the table and how do I develop people who bring more to the table, you know? Um, cause I, I realized that, um, like I want to win, but I want to win in a certain way and have a certain experience, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I, I love how you even said, I want kids who want to be here, you know? Well, and you <laughs> said like, you want to be around kids. So you actually want to be hang out with, cause you're going to be around them so much as a coach, you know? Yeah. That's why I tell recruits, I'm like, listen, like I won't, I mean, this sounds maybe bad, but like, if I don't mess with a kid or like them, then I probably won't recruit them, you know? Right. And yeah, I mean, obviously there's a certain amount of like, maybe they're like so good, you know, but, um, but yeah, like I have to spend so much of my time with these kids. And so it's not just like, how do I like develop them, but also like, how do they give back to me? You know, every practice I give so much energy, like who gives me back energy, mm -hmm. you know, are they just consumers of that energy or do they consume and give back? And I, I realized, you know, the kind of athlete I want is someone who will, will work really hard with a smile on their face, you know, who's passionate and um, who wants to compete, who wants to be as of state and will fit our, our vibe and our culture and our mentality. And I'm realizing that thinking more about the macro approach and the long-term goals here versus like, I got to win right away. And, and um, thinking about like, well, where are we going to be in four years and, and how do we do that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it can go by fast and you would, is this your fourth year right now? Yeah, I guess third. This is third okay. year, you know, or fourth. Yeah, I guess it's fourth. I don't so know. now that you're, it's gone by really fast. It's a blur. And that, but now you're there, though, and you've done it a couple of times. How how far out are you planning practices and and workouts for your guys once you get into the thick of the season? Yeah. So um, the thing that I I feel like I have a good gut instinct on on how to peak guys in the middle of the season. And the thing that I've really been reflecting on working on one of the projects in COVID is like just our preseason. So I think that's a little bit more regimented and instills some basics, especially in our freshman class. And I think one thing I realized about some of our recruits is that maybe a little more green than the Northwestern people that I knew, you know, there are some, you know, kids who had 4.0s in high school and, you know, it's just like such like almost like adult, like freshmen, you know, and <laughs> so some true. of my kids need a little more, yeah. So my kids need a little more TLC when it comes to like, Hey, here's like your course planner. Here's how you figure out like how to organize your life. And some of those more like holistic leadership development, you know, class study development stuff. And so building that into our preseason is important, you know, again, division, like where I am wearing lots of hats, you know, I think um, one thing I saw with a recent freshman class a couple years ago is that they, I don't think they left campus enough. Mm. Like I want, them to know they're in san francisco you know i don't know saying they have to like go out and stuff but they should know that the park is here and there's this beautiful area to go explore that the marine headlands are there to go camp and i want them to have that experience so um starting to plan in i think like every other week we'll get off campus for like a 10-week period or maybe just every week and go do the golden gate run do twin peaks do the hour sunset beach and and sort of forcibly get them to see different parts of the city and they have those experiences, albeit through conditioning. Now are most of the kids who are on your team, I assume most are Californians, but are most uh, North Bay, uh, you know, North side of the state kids. Uh, I think we actually have quite a few from Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably split, you know, I would say, you know, a, a handful, a few out of state kids. And then um, 
maybe about half is from Southern California, some LA, Orange County, and then a handful of Bay Area, Northern California. It's, I mean, California is such a gold mine. You could literally get a team of everyone who got fifth at the California States and make a, a national championship team easy. Yeah, definitely. And that that's, I mean, something that, like, what you just mentioned, we I've especially realized lately, just per our scholarship resources and in-state tuition and realizing, you know, exactly where we stand that I think if we can get a lot of those kids who maybe didn't start wrestling until they were later in their life or still have some kind yeah. of peaking and ceiling and really love the sport and are, are willing to commit to me and develop with under my program that I think we have a ton of success here, you know, and it, it doesn't need, I mean, obviously I would love to get a, a state champ in the room, but we don't have to get a state champ to make them into an all American, you know, like I trust in uh, how I can develop an athlete. And I think, getting the right character attributes and solid baseline skills, I can work with that and develop, you know, and there are so many kids here who are overlooked and um, there's just so much depth that there are plenty of kids who are, you know, top eight, top 16 are, are stellar. Well, and SF States won before, you know, it's not like there's never been a national championship. Mm -hmm. Hasn't the wrestling won before the title? Yeah. It, I think uh, 87, 90, no, 97. Respect. 87 I, anyways we want it it's, it's before this podcast before a lot of people are listening to it uh richard mendelson respect to dr richard mendelson he's a phd lives in florida he wrestled on that team and uh i randomly we just met he's a he's a good friend now but um i had to give a shout out to him because a lot of people again they may not know that you think division two you think uno you think uh, some of those more traditional powers but we got to give love to the to the west coast school especially what's happening now Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's one thing is, as I'm, you know, actively thinking about, especially now during my reflection period is like, how do we get to that team title standpoint, you know, yeah. like, even just breaking down little things like, okay, how many all Americans do we need to do that? And how do we pick a team at the right time for that? And how do we recruit a team that, you know, obviously, you have to have a certain things come together to make a title run. So um, really looking at how do I develop a kid? from a, a fifth place at California state as an 18 year old into a 22 year old division two national champion. Yeah. Well, it's, it's exciting. And it, it could obviously, it can, it's happened before and it'll happen again. I mean, programs have done that. I mean, Portland state in the early nineties, they ran off three or four in a row and they only took five guys and they had all five win it though. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, it, that, that West coast talent pool is so deep, but one of the things I want to ask yeah. you about is, you coached at a high school in Illinois. I'm an Illinois guy. I'm partial to the Illinois State Tournament. Give me your thoughts on Illinois 3A versus the California Tournament. Oh. Was Lane Tech 3A? Hard to say. Well, we, I, was at a, I was at Loyola Academy. Actually. Loyola Academy. Okay. Were they yeah. 3A? Mm -hmm. So we were. Yeah but we didn't qualify anyone to stay when oh, I was God. there. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how familiar I was with the state tournament. <laughs> that's a, that's a nice area up there. Those kids don't have to, they're not grinding out in wrestling, man. They're, they're smart. Mm. They're, uh, they're deploying yeah. their, their efforts. Other, other word. I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, mm. I mean, every, I just, you know, California is that one, one division state tournament. I mean, you've been through it, but I always just like to get people's takes on the different state tournaments. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, you know, we're obviously looking at, I think it just, it's just, they're both awesome and deep, yeah. you know, it's like, you look at, you know, Illinois, California, Jersey, and, and a few others, and it's like, damn, these, some of these kids are like, you know, again, 
top eight or, or, you know, top 16 and they're can develop. And if you find the right fit, you know, those kids can be all Americans at any level. Like there's just so much depth and uh, it's, it's tough. Now, do you guys do a lot of recruiting from the California Juco circuit? Uh, that's something that we're, I would say we're just starting to really delve into that. Um, that's pretty interesting, isn't and, it? Yeah, it's so interesting. And so I guess for the viewers who don't know, uh, the California JCs compete in their own league, right? So the N, like the national JCs have their national championship, and then the California JCs have their own. And that stems back to a time that, you know, un- unfortunately, or I guess that it isn't this way anymore, but there were so many, there's still a lot, but so many JCs in California that had wrestling and division two as well. Going back to, like you said, our, our history, like cheek, like I, I looked at like a, you know, in the eighties, like a division two all Americans. And it was like insane. Like there were so many division two Cal state programs mm-hmm. that were just killing it. Um, but anyways, um, we are starting to take a, a kind of a deeper dive at the, the California JC kids and, um, I had a really, really great experience with a couple of kids who just walked on from that system and, um, you know, taking back to, again, like, who's giving me energy and, and positivity and, and growth. And, and um, I think there's a lot of sort of overlooked kids in that. Oh, it's, that it's crazy. And I mentioned this before, but I, I wrestled at Cal Baptist for one semester. I was terrible and I got homesick and I moved back. <laughs> but I got to meet a lot of Californians who I'm still friends with to this day. I've never met more kids who wrestle their freshman year only onward and they're amazing. And they're just incredible talents that are out there. And all of them had come from this California JC circuit. And I was like 20 years old. I'd been around wrestling my whole life and never even heard of this before. And I'm like, wait, it runs in the fall with the football, with the football season. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. It's like an early season. Like it, it's so quirky like Bizarro. that, but it's, it's loaded with talent. Though. I mean, I got to thank a lot of those California Juco state champs would be right up there in the top four, top five at the mm-hmm. NJC. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely, I think is, is true. And, um, and I mean, obviously one thing that we really have going for us is like SF is a great location and typically California kids who stay around local are staying local for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, and want to continue to stay local. So um, it's definitely somewhere we're, we're keen on. It's pretty, it's just such a cool state and, you know, like you said, if someone's already stayed for junior college, it would make sense that they're going to stay a little bit longer. Um, one of the thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, going forward, if you look at a city like San Francisco, there's you know, a million, two million people there. I don't know how much wrestling there is in the actual inner city of San Francisco. Like, do you ever think about like the impact you guys could have with like a beat the street San Francisco and getting like 10, 20, 30,000 kids in the city wrestling? I mean, there's not much going on right yeah, now. Yeah, no, there's, um, crazy. there's not, there's so unfortunately, many kids. yeah, there's, it's like, and I think it's, it's a bit of a, a, like, there definitely is like the population in SF is tends to be more of an older population, yeah. but there are a ton of kids here still, you know? Um, and yeah, I think that's again, looking at like the, the bigger picture stuff, like what, what's a development project that I could be involved yeah. with in, you know, in five years and so, and I think growing wrestling locally here is would be pretty awesome and there is a, a ton of kids there's not much wrestling in the city right now there's some but it's not what it could be um and i think yeah looking at sf and oakland and i think those are yeah. like trying what other areas you know like locally um and i think some like up north too but i think there are some pockets of sort of like 
underserved wrestling wise, you know, populations that could really be grown and contribute to our national talent or a national talent, you know, and our obviously SSA talent. too. I mean, that's the thing you got, you got your own problems to deal with, but you know, in running a team, but I, I just think someone like you, I get so excited to see a young guy who loves the sport in a position where you can impact a whole city and there's a just a lot of room to grow out there. So overall, I'm just trying to say I'm excited you're out there, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. the to the future because you look at some of the greats that have come from that. You know, even San Jose's a little bit down there, but you got Eric Guerrero, Stephen Abbas. I mean, two you know some of the greats of all time mm-hmm. from that Northern California area. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's been a lot of quality athletes and and mentors for me to look up to, and you know, it's a uh, it's a great wrestling area. I think we have a lot of like sort of quality to grab onto, you know, in Northern California. And I'm excited to see like at some point as sort of built more of a base for the quantity, you know, and, um, you know, uh, Bay area beat the streets has been doing some, some more work and growing lately, which is really exciting, nice. you know, um, and just some, some redevelopment about their, their goals. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, a how they develop and what they can bring to the table and then be like how can i contribute as well you know i know looking at the new york guys and what they've done and talking to jeff marsh and um you know i think one of the first things they did is create a few like satellite um like kind of clubs and i think sf could be a great place to to host that in the future and um we want to get involved well i'm excited to see what you guys do out there and really appreciate your time man thanks for coming on jason yep thanks ryan And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.